The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and we're ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in the digital transformation movement, and you'll be one of the ones leading meaningful change. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 151. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. There's a lot of work to do, so it's time to get fired up. Before we launch this rocket ship into orbit, I want to give a shout out to the crew at Jennings Healthcare Marketing and their video series on the Shift.Health content network called Marketing for Better Health. It's a greatest hits collection of videos by Dan Dunlop from his blog that provides tips for post-pandemic planning, addressing consumer fears, using effective content marketing to improve community health, and so much more. People, you got to check it out if you haven't yet. The first two seasons are available on demand at shift.health. So be sure and check it out. Again, the series is called Marketing for Better Health. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about digital culture. Where do we start to evolve the mindsets and organizational structures surrounding our digital strategy? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are going to dive into the challenges of changing health behaviors. And finally, Steve Wigginton, the CEO of a Cario joins us to give the lowdown on using personalized tech and data to humanize the healthcare experience. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. What does your digital culture look like? Within corporate culture is a subset called digital culture. It refers to the mindsets, behaviors, and organizational structures surrounding your digital strategy. It's manifest in the things people say and the actions they take that affect how well an organization implements its digital transformation. Here are three examples of things people say that describe their digital culture. Which one sounds like your organization? At Health System A, leadership says the following. Now's the greatest opportunity ever to truly undergo a digital transformation. Our future depends on it. Let's create our strategy together and invite all the relevant players to the table. Business strategy, marketing, consumer experience, clinicians, IT, and patients. No more land grabs, no more fiefdoms, no more silos. At Health System B, marketing shouts to everybody, 
We own digital because we understand consumers, but can someone explain how the data needs to connect? IT shouts, we own digital by default because it's tech stuff, but who cares how clunky the user experience is? And business strategy shouts, we own digital because we say where the money goes, but why are people behaving differently than our model says they will? Unquote. And at Health System C, Everyone sighs and says, wake me when it's over. Can we just get back to pre-COVID, please? Ed Marks, the well-known digital transformation consultant and former Cleveland Clinic CIO, explains that with most things, it all begins and ends with culture. In his new book, Healthcare Digital Transformation, which is a must-read, by the way, Ed says the following. How can we prepare ourselves and our organizations for a digital transformation? It is not the technology that holds healthcare back, but the culture. Steeped in tradition, healthcare largely promotes from within, unintentionally limiting fresh ideas that stifle change. Afraid of errors, we insist on extended analysis before making decisions. Digital transformation leaders had to break through their traditional mindset and take risks and lead boldly. They develop alliances and partnerships, pursue curiosity, and push boundaries. If we don't grab hold of the digital transformation potential, the gap will widen and never close. Unquote. Jackie Martin, founder of Branch Strategy Consulting, said that the two biggest blockers are first, our internal silos and inability to let go of our stuff that we own, and two, our vendor partner's inability and unwillingness to make data transferable. And Jeff Gorgie, author of Making the Healthcare Shift, has said, we like to say becoming more digital is not primarily about technology. It's about becoming more agile, more innovative, more willing to test and learn and optimize, and more customer-centric. Unquote. Let's start today to look at the digital culture in our organizations and commit to a dialogue about how to improve. Because digital transformation can't happen until we drop the silos and realize that we're all the same team. And that's the flavor of the Week. The Flow. Zane, good to have you back. How are you? Good. How are you, Jared? Doing well. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just, you know, growing up in the 90s when I hear certain songs like Cypress Hill, I always think in Zane in the membrane. Oh, I'm like, like it's, ter- it's, it's terrible. And I'm, I'm sure you do. That's okay. I get it all the time. I just let it in one ear and out the other. And then some older folks keep referencing Zane Gray. I think he was a country Western writer. And then the next group is like more Gen Z types. Think of me as part of Zane from One Direction. <laughs> and so there used to be a time when like no one had the name Zane, but now thanks to One Direction, um, it's popular. And I would just like to say that I had the name first. So right on. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I didn't mean to de- derail us right oh, off the bat okay. here, but uh, my goodness, it, it is. It, it comes up more and more frequently than I ever realized right. until, like the last few weeks. So, Yep. Awesome. Well, my goodness, are there some awesome things going on right now? Is there anything awesome that you've come across lately? Let's start with that. You know, the coolest little awesome thing, and it's very personal and not... Some people are probably going to laugh at us or laugh at me, but I bought this tech organizer from Amazon. It's completely changed my life. And so it's, think of it as like a lunch bucket, like a lunch pail size, like canvas little thing. And it allows you to put like all your tech in it, like all your chargers, like your mouse, your webcam, whatever. Because I mean, I'm a modern person. I have a phone, I have laptops, I have extra USB, everything. Usually it's just in my backpack free floating around and it's, there's like wires hanging out everywhere and it's stressful. 
but I spent like 30 bucks on Amazon and got me this organizer and it's completely changed my life. I feel so much less stressed. I just pull out one thing. I can find everything I need. Don't have to go hunting for my um, iPhone charger. So that's the greatest little thing that I have in my life right now. You kind of look like a loser, not going to lie, a big nerd, but whatever. That's that's me and that's always been my life. So It's about like the size of a like a GoPro case was yep. back in the day that had all the the accessories and all the mounts and everything for for that. It's right about the same size and shape. Yep. And it just keeps it all in one spot. So when I leave the house in the morning or if I'm traveling, I just know to grab that and I have to run around looking for every specific charger to all my different devices, right? I think you pull it off pretty well. So yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank there you. we go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Zane, we're let's uh, let's tackle really some of the easy problems in healthcare this time. Like how do we get people to behave in oh, a God. healthy way? Let's just yeah. tackle one of the easy ones this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, when we start laying out questions about this theme, you know, again, we're still on this quest of like, is it even possible to mm-hmm. create this experience that consumers are demanding? Mm-hmm. And I genuinely thought when we first started going on this quest that that we'd at least, that some of the answers would be fairly clear. And I don't know that that some of them are like, there's at least not a magic way or, you know, an easy button for lack of a better term to push. And some of these things happen. There is a lot of complexity in things. And I don't think it's worth, you know, anyone's while to, to diminish how complicated things are. The only reason to, you know, to try to rise above that is to realize like, if we get stuck in that, then we're never going to get anywhere, make any progress. But this is one of those things that this topic in particular, when I've looked at it just from the lens of like, hey, I'm at a health system or I'm at a hospital or I'm even at, I worked for several years for medical device companies. Mm -hmm. If I was just looking at it from that standpoint, I was only trying to answer this question from their standpoint of, hey, what can this hospital do to make somebody healthier? Or what can this device, like how can it help someone's life? And the question is a lot bigger than that. It is not a question that's only answered by one clinician or one device or one pill or one type of behavior. There's a lot to it. And so the question is, what part do we try to optimize or iterate to make some progress here? And uh, here's the way I'll go with this. And then Zane, you can take it whatever direction you want. I think when I look at what the status quo has looked like over the years for me, it is that a primary care relationship has not been all there is to it. Until recently, I'd say the last couple of years, I wouldn't even say I had a primary care relationship with the doctor at all. You know, I try to figure it all out on my own. And I don't think that's totally uncommon, you know, but there's always a combination of things. Being as tech first and digital first that I am, I'd always try to think, well, hey, maybe there's a tool that, hey, all I need is some way to notify myself that I need to change things and, you know, and then I'll change them. You know, if something just notifies me of, oh yeah, like, here's this behavior you need to change. Here's something you need to change about your diet today or whatever. I don't know how common it is, but that's how I've, that's been the status quo for me thinking, hey, all I needed to know was like be notified in real time or something. And and yeah, then I'm going to change stuff. Sure. And we're talking about human behavior. Like it, it does not happen that way. It does seem like there are ways for personalized data to affect that. And we'll, we'll get into that. But but for me, that's what the status quo has been up until recently in terms of how do I change my own health behavior? So I don't know about you. Yeah, so I think what you just hit upon is like really what I would call it's like the status quo of how innovators, especially like digital innovators think, which I think is a huge risk. And that is, and I've had to catch myself and I got educated by a, a nurse, or sorry, a physician's assistant friend of mine, which I'll get into. But 
those of us that are on this sort of digital innovation side sometimes forget that at the end of the day, a human has to use whichever tools, products, and services we're talking about and make the decision for themselves. And one thing I hear loud and clearly from clinicians and people who work their front lines, including this buddy of mine, who's a, like I said, a physician's assistant actually at the University of Michigan is, and, and frankly, he kind of rolls his eyes when I talk because he said, Zane, at the end of the day, the patients that I see are very sick. And a lot of it is because they choose to be so. And that sounds harsh and crass. He's talking about people with like chronic disease and chronic conditions, like non-compliant diabetics, for example. They choose not to be compliant to their care regimen. And some of that has to do with the environments they live in. And so I don't want to be completely you know, horrible on them. But at the end of the day, it comes down to choice. And so no matter, no level of cool digital tools or apps or Fitbits are going to save someone who just decides not to be compliant with their care plan. And I think that's something that the innovation community forgets. And that's kind of why we were on this podcast to talk about more of the human-centered design things to get at the fundamental reasons why people are healthier and healthy and start building solutions that address those emotional and call it spiritual and even like behavioral health needs that need to be addressed that would ultimately lead people to choose to live a better and, and healthier and safer life. Yeah, 100%. I'm glad you went there. In fact, that's a great segue to talk about, you know, what do we, what are our opportunities to innovate here? Because when sure. you're talking about, it does seem like that's the right question to ask. How do we use human centered design principles together with tech that's now available to, yes. in combination and partnership lead us to be able to do things in a better way? So when we talk about like the data that, that we are now sending or, or that's being generated by any number of internet of, of things, devices mm -hmm. that is possible now. It's not always the question of like, is that the right thing to do? But the question for years has just been, is that something possible? Is that something we can just give the provider to be another tool in their tool belt? And I mean, I've seen it done in the right ways. I've seen personal health data be used to start the conversation between your clinician and, and yourself as the patient. And that is a tremendous thing. But when we just talk about it in a transactional way, like when it has just been data instead yeah. of Hey, there's there's an experience that needs to be built around this. It does come off differently. What do you think? Like, how can we use human-centered design principles to use our health data effectively? Sure. Well, I think a couple of practical things that I'm seeing health systems start to think about, and one of them is starting to implement a CRM, so a customer relationship management software, which isn't very always very common at the enterprise level of a health system. And what that starts to bring in is and is our ability as a health system to actually understand who our patients are as consumers and potentially learn learn more or collect more information on them based on kind of who they are in their everyday life as opposed to what's only available to us in their electronic medical record, which is their medical identity. And as you know, Jared, that doesn't tell you the whole picture. And so what I'm seeing some health systems start to toy around with is this notion of like the next best action. And so between bringing together data points available based on someone's clinical identity from the electronic medical record combined with what is now available in the uh, customer relationship management software. Those two things do some sort of magic in the background. And all of a sudden, um, a smart tool is able to issue a recommendation to you know whichever care navigator or customer service representative as to, you know what, this patient, Zane Ismo, who's calling, based on what we know, we recommend that he should be a part of potentially this support group and looks like he needs to go see his primary care physician and we should probably check on his high blood pressure again. And so that's one way 
where I can see data starting to be used to actually drive people towards to live healthier lives. The other thing too, I know we've talked about this in past episodes is through the use now of all these you know, IoT devices, you know, Fitbits, you name it, of the world, we do have an opportunity now to understand how our patients are kind of doing every day. You know, we can see their heart rate potentially. We can see how many steps they're taking, if they're logging, which foods they're consuming. We can see their consumption. And we do now have, an, we, at least in theory, have an ability now to see that and can proactively reach out to start making recommendations. So if we see someone you know, isn't getting as much activity as they were supposed to defined by their care plan. Potentially like a health coach could call them and say, hey, we've noticed saying you haven't moved enough this week. What's going on? How can we help you? And so on and so forth. And so that's how I see this starting to come together. I think so too. And so what if we add a, another variable here? Let me throw another, <laughs> uh, just, just another uh, factor in here is uh, a health plan. So a health plan in theory, at least is incentivized to keep you healthy, which is different than, at least at the base, you know, sick care, fee-for-service healthcare, which I know, you know, thankfully is not the only type of healthcare that's uh, being practiced in the U.S. anymore, but it's still not widespread in, in terms of have, actually having a full value-based care model. I mean, that is, that's the goal, but most health systems are not there. So there's some still type of transactional sick care being, being provided pretty much every hospital across the country. So, then we talk about a health plan who says, okay, hey, we've got all this data that, to your example just now of, hey, Zane hasn't been moving enough this week, that the health plan could be initiating some types of, of communication or a nudge, like uh, like Ben Tingey in, in last week's episode, where he talked about nudge theory. Uh, there, there's an, a possible example of how that could really Absolutely. play out well. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think health plans of anybody of any player in the in the healthcare continuum that has the most incentive to get this down right, it is the health plan. Because ultimately, like they're like the Netflix, right? They want to sell you your monthly subscription and then minimize your utilization as much as possible, keep you out of hospital, keep you out of clinical service as much as possible. So they have the full incentive to keep you healthy. And so they and I wouldn't be surprised if some of them are already exploring, you know, nudge theory and behavioral economics to find out, you know, how they can use call it like positive reinforcement and indirect suggestions to influence the way their health plan members live their lives. In fact, I'd love to be a part of it if they are. Well, I think about it too. So I first heard about this thought of using a personal health data feed from devices to then, then gets either read by a clinician or by a device, and that eventually gets turned into some kinds of notifications, sure. nudges, if you will. I first heard about that model probably back in like 2014 at a conference, and I like, I mean, my jaw hit the floor. I was just like, that could be a thing. Yeah, uh, that sounds great. I keep trying to think, you know, now, you know, what has kept us from getting to that state? Because I, I love the thought of of that. I'm like. I know that's not the whole puzzle, but that sure seems like that's a step in the right direction. Like those are a couple of missing pieces that have that we haven't had for a while. So, you know, I, I wonder how we can reimagine that or how we can just, you know, see that happen on a broader basis. And I wonder if that is when we talk about opportunities to innovate here. I wonder if that one of those is a like a better handshake between the health plan and a hospital. Where, Absolutely. where both sides are incentivized to, at the end of the day, make you healthy. 
Absolutely. Well, and some other concrete ways that I've seen health plans do this and so are, so for example, there are many health plans have a annual like wellness visit requirement. So in order to save on some of your premiums, you're required to at least go see your primary care physician at least once per year and then complete a set of questions, a set of questionnaires, then like get your blood tested, like do a BMI screening and then also like a behavioral health screening. Other things that I've seen is some innovative, some innovative insurers, especially the big national ones, are piloting opportunities working with fitness clubs. So if you can demonstrate that as a health plan member, you're visiting the fitness club, you know, at least two, three, four times a week, you can potentially save on your premium. And then finally, the other space where I'm seeing lots of activity is actually in the employer space, where employers, large employers who are largely fully, sorry, self-insured are working on like wellness initiatives within their institutions, um, giving some people, everyone like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, and then incentivizing them, usually financially, to stay active so that it ultimately keeps the cost of care down to the employer. And so we're starting to see it in pieces, just not at scale yet, but hopefully eventually we'll get there. I hope so too. I, I do like seeing that side of it when we're just talking about where where could this go? Like if it is just a problem with scale, that can be addressed. If there's a question at the end of the day of like, hey, are, is the this check the box mentality at our organization of that kind of, of the incentives you were just describing of, hey, you get a discount on your premium by having your annual physical. If that's still just a check the box mentality, you know, there's mm-hmm. some work to do, but that still does seem like at the end of the day that that's, that's getting us to be a, in a healthier place than we were before. So I uh, you know, I, I do hope that that comes off as progress. You know, I'm I'm a fan of progress and in, in baby steps if it has to, just because once you get down the road, even a few miles, you turn back and the view is different. And so, yeah. you know, I'm a fan of just dry, like just going, go down the road. Like, you know, maybe you didn't get to the destination as quickly as as somebody thought you would get there but your view is going to change and where you go from there is going to change. And I think that's, you know, that, that's kind of a driving principle of innovation for me is like, let's go somewhere. Let's have that somewhere be in the right direction, like not just totally random, like let's have it be in the right direction and let's Absolutely. measure how quickly we get there. And if, if that's all it is, you know, then that's still progress. And so I guess for me, when we get to like, like our call to action here, for me, I see this as an ongoing discussion. I see this as a chance to really explore how to incentivize everyone to make people healthier. And again, this is not exactly tackling the smallest question we'll ever talk, tackle, but I think it's, you know, where does the hospital or health system fit into this question? I think it's an important thing to keep talking about. Absolutely. I think too, maybe to close this out a little, I think one place where health systems and health plans can really experiment with in this space is with their most healthy patients. So I call those like the worried well. So people who are really passionate about their health, they're probably very passionate about their fitness and they're looking to optimize. I could see them, these folks not having any issue with sharing increasingly more data with their health plan in exchange for incentives because in theory, they know they're going to do well because they're 
probably at the gym every day. They're probably eating healthy. And I think that could be a great, call it test group, to try out new care models, new incentive models, new, call it nudge theory ideas, if you will, to use Ben's term that he taught us last week to try to change healthcare for these people. I love it, Zaina. We always go to places that I didn't expect. And I love the the thought of where where we mm-hmm. could get if we just start exploring this idea a little bit more. So as always, it's a pleasure. Stay safe, be well, and keep on doing everything you're doing. Thanks, Sarah, you too. So many vendors, so little time Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime But it's what my job's about, yeah. it makes me want to shout yeah. I need some help deciding who to use without a doubt Something everyone wants, like a secret decoder Something everyone needs, like your own baby Yoda Help me to choose, I can't afford to lose Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Martech.health, martech.health Do yourself a favor, check it out for yourself Need to find a vendor? This is the way Martech.health, who you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. And here's why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories. Verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers. A resource library of articles, videos, and events. Plus, an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health. All right. Hey, this week we've got Steve Wigginton in the house. Steve's the CEO of Acario, which is the recently rebranded health action company that sprung up from the merger of Revel and Novu Health. So previous to that, he was the CEO of Novu Health. Steve, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. How are you? I'm doing very well. Looking forward to our chat. Absolutely. We like to start with kind of uh, thinking about the latest awesome thing that, that you've heard about or or uh, you've run into in your life. Uh, any Anything that's just been, it doesn't even have to be healthcare related, but we just like to kind of set our interviews off in the right track by talking about something something cool, because let's face it, we can all use some, some good news or just something that's a little more positive in our lives these days. So uh, anything awesome that has that you've come across lately? I mean, I think all of us are excited about what's happening on the vaccination front. I know that is a healthcare thing, but uh, I was really excited to learn that my wife, who's an OBGYN, got her vaccination. And so that that makes me happy knowing that uh, those that are on the front lines, it's really starting to come through. I could, I guess, comment also on uh, the rise of uh, individual trading and on the Robinhood platform, which seems to be very noteworthy and newsworthy of late. It's a crazy world. Things are changing fast. That's all I know. I mean, in all seriousness, it sort of highlights the the tremendous change that is unfolding as people are getting access to communication and trading platforms and all these linkages, people's ability to communicate and coordinate with one another in ways that weren't previously possible. And I'm not sure we completely understand how that's all going to play out in the financial world or anywhere else for that matter. I would agree to that. I feel like that's the storyline at the end of the day for me is that I don't know that a lot of us fully understand what we've awoken by seeing this happen. Right. Yeah, the genie is out of the bottle. and I don't think anybody knows where the cork is. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. So true. We'll see how things play out there. And it's fascinating. I mean, it really is. And then on the vaccine front, like you mentioned, I've got to say uh, one of my favorite things, I'm sure other people are getting a little bit saturated with it, but I love seeing shots of healthcare workers, frontline workers, 
and everyone else who, who's been able to get a vaccine, you know, actually posting that. I'd much rather have my social media feeds have that. That's a signal of hope rather than a list of, you know, all the, you know, the new cases and new deaths, which are, you know, nobody likes to see. So, you know, I'd love to see like a, a ticker or a counter. I think Zane has even mentioned that previously of like, that would be a, a cool thing. Like, let's see that on our, on our news tickers and on our social media feeds of like how many vaccines have happened. Yeah. As my kids say, 100%. Great, great, great. Well, tell you what, Steve, let's dive right into this. Talk to me about the need for personalized health action. So uh, when we start kind of macro on this whole thought of connecting people to actions that make them healthier, I mean, we like to speak of this in terms of the status quo overall in society, and then we'll dig in from there. But talk to us about, I mean, this, this probably just speaks to the heart of what Acario is all about, you know, kind of why Revel and Novu Health merged in the first place and what your vision is for what's possible here. So let's talk about the challenge that you're addressing. What is going on there with the need for health actions? Yeah, well, you know, I think all of us understand that the healthcare delivery system and the way each of us experiences healthcare and and that health in general, you know, continues to change. 25, 30 years ago, most adults had their doctor and their doctor was probably in a small group practice or individual practice and generally was looked upon as a trusted source of guidance and advice and individual relationship with a physician, particularly as you, you know, became a full grown adult and you got, you know, later into your life was the norm. You know, that's changed. Most physicians now are working, you know, in corporations and health systems in large organizations. And the idea that you or I would have, quote unquote, our doctor and we would have a personal relationship with easy access to that individual is, you know, definitely not the norm. And I would say, you know, trend line is less and less. You can pick up your phone and you can do a virtual visit or a telephonic visit with a physician. So that underlying shift uh, coupled with, if you look at the aging of our population, the growth in Medicare enrollment, for example, you know, I think has left many of us, and particularly I think populations in, in the Medicare and Medicaid realms, uh, disadvantaged, and it's, it's harder for them to get the guidance and the information they need. So we see a gap there. We see the health insurance companies trying to fill that gap. We see the health systems trying to, to fill that gap. And we saw an opportunity to support both of those kinds of organizations. So what has kept that as the status quo? Like, why haven't we seen this innovated up until now? What have been the obstacles to seeing progress? Well, there has been a ton of uh, innovation. The challenge is, of course, healthcare by definition is, is complicated, meaning how do I get the information I need? How do I get the advice I need? How do I get the tests or the screenings that I need? Where do I go? Who do I see? That's complicated. So you, you've got a, a tough set of facts to work with. There's a strong regulatory and compliance environment. There are privacy requirements. The system of healthcare is largely built around how it is paid for, not how it is experienced. So there are things called claims that are paid by insurance companies, and the file, the claims are filed by the providers. And you know, there's a lot of infrastructure, data exchange, technology built around the contracting for and payment for, contracting of, I should say, and payment for healthcare. So when you start with that infrastructure, as opposed to how do I build a, a Ritz-Carlton type experience where I work backwards from the individual, 
you know, you inherently have some systemic structural challenges there to be personal, to be human. You're starting from a tough spot. And so that's the gap that we're filling. We see the opportunity to bring the kinds of personalization strategies, techniques, and tactics to bear that, you know, the leading consumer brands in the world use every single day and yet are very difficult for the main players in healthcare to be able to execute. I see. I see. So I like that thought of realizing that there has been a lot of progress made and that there's still work to do, but that there, you know, that there has been active progress made in the industry. That that does help, I think, give some context here. When you were talking about how to approach it, looking at the systemic structure of payments versus is actually starting with a member or consumer experience and then going from there. It sounds like the types of innovation, like the opportunities to innovate here really do come maybe not by trying to attack it all at once, but finding different parts here that can be innovated in a relatively shorter amount of time with those who are motivated to do so. This this sounds like a process of incentivizing correctly, of incentivizing, you know, starting with the consumer, incentivizing somebody to be healthier, helping them realize here's the resources for you to do that. Not just making them aware of what that next action is, but helping incentivize them and help them almost change their outlook on health. So it sounds like there's just a lot to it. There is. We believe, at Acario, we believe, I think, you know, different folks in the industry might feel differently, but we believe there's a plenty of room for innovation, but you've also got to be able to make a business case for it. You know, I can't just sprinkle goodness a group of people for the sake of doing it. I need to be able to sustain that investment. None of this is free. And the way I sustain that investment is I can see and measure outcomes, improvements in health, improvements in screening rates, completion of annual wellness visits for seniors. These are very measurable metrics of progress or success or impact. And then those metrics ladder up to a return on investment for the insurer. Most often our clients are health insurance companies in Medicare who participate in the Medicare and Medicaid programs administer in different states or across the country. They have a budget. They have to make it all tie together. And so that's the focus for us is making sure that the work we do that benefits the individuals at the end of the line, so to speak, is sustainable because it has not only a health outcomes impact, but it's financially responsible. You know, if you do breast cancer screenings and you discover very early something that's easily treatable, you know, there's, there's actuarial models that show you that you actually end up as an insurer saving money, quote unquote. Of course, you would want, you obviously see the health outcomes benefit. That's the real reason to do it, but it's got to be sustainable. So when you talk about innovation, uh, you use the term member, which makes me smile because like, uh, you know, that right there, we have an industry that has given human beings a label that's not individualized or personalized. And it's, I'm not being critical. It's just a fact. And everything is really tied around, you know, what effectively is an anonymous number. And putting a buffer, an airlock between that infrastructure and that way of thinking and you and me and uh, my neighbor and my father, you know, we all respond very differently. We think very differently. And and that's the, the opportunity we saw was to use technology and behavioral science, analytics, machine learning, things that... Uh, Again, leading consumer brands and social media companies and others are using at a PhD level. And most of healthcare is operating at the GED level in that particular regard. And yet, 
if you have uh, chronic kidney disease or if you have depression and diabetes or if you are uh, diagnosed with some form of cancer, the clinical and healthcare infrastructure, the goodness uh, that is there to support you is substantial and awesome. But most people don't take full advantage of it. And a big part of that is that they aren't personally connected to these I probably could come up with a better word than good, this goodness, but, but, you know, in quotes, that's, that's really the opportunity. Uh, you just gave me a lot to think about here. <laughs> I love that thought of, of uh, working at the PhD level versus the GED level. That, that kind of makes it, that makes it very real here. Uh, you were talking about behavioral science and, and machine learning and, and kind of this combination of, of everything that, that is together able to drive actions in a different way. Tell me about that in terms of like, what should the person on the street know that's going on behind the scenes? Like what can give them hope? You, you talk about, you know, sprinkling goodness on people. And I, I love that. Like I can relate to that a lot, you know, having, having worked at a provider before, you know, having worked at health tech companies before I can see the need for, you know, at the end of the day, if everyone's like, wait, why do we do what we do? It's that we want to make people's lives better, but there's a, there are all these layers before that, that lead to that happening. What's going on behind the scenes? You know, like what's, what's the thing that's happening that's, that's helping people's lives be better with the combination you talked about? Yeah. Well, if you go to a world-class consumer marketing organization and they're operating again at the PhD level, and that means the behavioral science application, understanding what motivates people, what doesn't motivate people. And all of us have different makeups. And so what can I look for in your consumer spending data or your some of your behaviors that I can understand through machine learning and through information? Oh, geez, you know, when I mail you something, you call the number. Or when I mail you something, you log on to the website. Or when I mail you something, you throw it away. You've never responded. So the channel, the message, the image, is there a gift card associated with it? If you go get a breast cancer screening, I'll give you a $25 gift card to Walmart. All of us will respond to different incentives, different messages, different images. You know, I might respond to a picture of three young kids with a grandfather because I really hope to see my grandkids. And there's no reason at my age, I'm not getting an annual colonoscopy. But that picture, that image, that message might be just what I need. Someone else with no grandkids, you send them that image, they throw it away. It doesn't even register. But a $25 gift card to Walmart for someone who is a senior and perhaps you know in a zero premium MA plan, and by definition, looking to minimize costs, might say, you know, I know I need to do this. And if I can get a $25 gift card, that's just the tipper that I needed to push me over and trying to not trying, but bringing all that together. And then, you know, in real time, making all these choices, which channel, what message, what image, is there an incentive or a reward attached to the behavior? And then, as I mentioned before, all that's got to tie out to be quote unquote worth it because, you know, an MA plan is by definition, you know, has to be self-sustaining. It can take in premiums from, the covered beneficiaries as well as the government. And then it pays out claims. And at the end of the day, if, if you know, B is greater than A, it's not sustainable. So the investments that health insurance companies and to a certain extent providers make with Acario to drive behaviors and drive action, uh, you know, have to tick and tie to both the outcomes and downstream financial impact. 
I see. I see. So if things go according to plan, in other words, you know, if Hikario helps make a dent in this challenge, in this problem, and we see progress, what does that look like? Let's back that out. You know, a few years from now, what would be that outcome? Like, what are we looking at a few years from now that we're celebrating because Hikario helped achieve this mission? In the ideal state, significant majority of the I'm going to get slightly technical here, risk-bearing entities in U.S. healthcare, the supermajority of which are insurance companies. But we also see direct contracting. We see providers you know, taking delegated risk for the total health and, and cost of populations. But in, in the aggregate, let's just shorthand that as insurers. The supermajority of those insurers are using Acario behind the scenes. We always to be clear, present the brand of our clients. So for example, Blue Shield of California or Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan or United Healthcare. Those are the brands that we're carrying on behalf of our clients. But the ideal state would be that the super majority of those risk-bearing entities, those insurers are using us as an airlock, essentially, between the millions of human beings that, have, that they serve. The, they call them members, and the healthcare industrial complex that, as I mentioned before, through no one's fault, is just very layered and complex and not built to be highly individualized, not built to think about all the touch points that I as an insurer have with you as a beneficiary. And today, not orchestrating those touch points in a way that are accretive, that are compounding. Instead, as I think most of us know, it's quite the opposite. Most of the things that get mailed to you from your insurance company go right in the trash. And flooding with communication is actually worse than none. So the ideal state would be that you know we are that airlock, that trusted partner to bring the kind of consumer personalization and health action capability that these payers so desperately need and want to drive retention, to drive satisfaction, to drive quality metrics that ultimately ladder up to health outcomes that ladder up to improved cost performance as well. Very cool. So let we will have to put something on the calendar a, a few years from now and and plan on celebrating that you know the progress that you just described because uh, I look forward to that. I really do. Well, I was just going to say we can celebrate today. Uh, I mean, I I look forward to celebrating a few years from now, but we're doing this today for many, many, many people. Every single day, you know, somebody does something, goes and gets a cancer screening or a wellness visit every single day as a result of the work we're doing right now. I only wish that I had, you talked about the vaccine counter on your social media feed. We we need to figure out how to do a health action counter on our website because every single one of those, it's 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 what gets us up in the morning. But yeah, I look forward. I'll put it on my calendar a couple of years from now and let's see how good we've done at counting. This is not out in the future. It's happening now. I mean, it's the tools and technologies that are available to us are going to allow us to continue to accelerate that progress. Very cool. Very cool. I, I do appreciate that. <laughs> it, it is. It, it, it's uh, genuinely great to to know what's going on right here and right now and where it could lead. So, uh, so thank you for that. So, as as we wrap up, I got just one more question for you, Steve. Here, and you can go wherever you want with this one. What's your call to action to the world? You know, those who are listening, who are, who are getting excited about what's what's happening. What's your call to action? What what can people do? 
to be a part of this process or just to to be part of the solution with healthcare? Boy, that's a nice, easy question <laughs> to wrap <laughs> yeah, up. If you could just solve that for us. Yeah, let's see. A universal answer to what can people do to help move this forward? You know, I can only speak for the, our little corner of the world. It's actually you know quite a large corner of the world, but I think for those in industry, you know, in the healthcare industry, I, I think really pushing yourself and your colleagues to think at the N equal one level about the work we're doing, that at the truly individual personalized level, in many cases, it's near impossible to build programs, workflows, clinics, care coordination models, all these different I mentioned, uh, I call it goodness, all this goodness that we in healthcare are dedicated to bringing forward, much of it led by clinicians. It's very, very difficult, and it has not been the norm, unless you go back to the family doctor days, to have truly personalized uh, healthcare. And so I would say, you know, look through that lens. It's not, you know, MA plan members. It's Steve Wigginton, grandfather of four. How do you... Think, look through that lens. I would say that would be my call to action. Look through that lens and look for opportunities, whether it's with Akari or anybody else, but look through that lens and look for opportunities to bring individual docking stations to this you know, big healthcare industrial complex loaded with goodness, but, but often not individualized. Steve, it's been a pleasure today. Thanks for giving us some time and a lot to think about. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, be well, and the best of luck to you. You too. Thanks very much. Wow. Thanks again to Zane and Steve. And thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, this is so important. We're serious about this. Please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. There are 28 podcasts and video series about shifting the way that healthcare is experienced. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. 